0: It's away, and Nadal is the champion at the age of 19. A wonderful match. But this superhuman phenomenon that is Rafael Nadal. That was 14 years ago at the age of 19. Rafael Nadal won his first Grand Slam at the 2005 French Open. Fast forward to 2019. Nadal wins his fourth U.S. Open and his 19th career Grand Slam. You're listening to NYC NYSEA and we're talking sports and a whole lot more. Will Sanchez, Dory Bennett. What a great, great last three weeks, month of tennis. Dory, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Will. It it has been an amazing and an, a most exciting US Open. I'm I'm not sure I remember a US Open this exciting. There was so much on the line talking about the big 3, Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer for the men's side, and then of course Serena, she's still in the hunt for Grand Slam title number 24. And all of the excitement around the qualifier, Taylor Townsend, who had to play three qualifying matches just to get in to the main draw for the U.S. Open. And she ends up upsetting number two, number one ranked in the world, number two at the U.S. Open, Simona Halep. The The match between Osaka and Coco Goff had so many storylines to it. There was just so much excitement. And matches, you can start watching matches there from 11 in the morning until after midnight, and you can't even see everybody play. It's just an amazing experience.
0: So just to let that audience know, um, Dory had the the privilege to uh, go out to New York to Flushing, Queens, and spend a week out there and look at tennis matches and just be a part of... Uh, that incredible environment, and we're going to get into that. Uh, but first, as we kick off the show, at the top of the show, it was Nadal's first Grand Slam win back in '05, and just 19 years old and 14 years later. He's on the heels of Federer as he tries to uh, eventually catch him, which hopefully he's going to do in, in 2020. But let's go back to this classic final match wow. with uh, Daniil uh, Medvedev in a five set victory he was up 7-5 6-3 and then the tide changed between Nadal and Medvedev and Medvedev won i believe um, it finished off with Nadal hitting the ball into the net and that kind of propelled and really it, it just it started something that at the time you thought this was going to be over, you're, you're right. All right, this is almost over. It's time to go cut the grass. It's, it's time to put on, you know, the the football games, and we, you know I don't have to flip flop back and forth and switch channels. But it was like, wait a minute, something special is about to happen, and that's what happened with the 23 old Russian and the 33 old Spaniard.
1: It was an amazing match, and really the first two the first two sets, the the crowd was very subdued. And it really wasn't exciting. It didn't have that energy that when you are in those stadiums, whether it's Louis Armstrong or Arthur Ashe or the grandstand, there's an excitement around it. There's this buzz that, that, Really being there in person is the only way it's captured until the crowd starts getting into it. And Daniil Medvedev had really turned the New York crowd against him with his earlier matches, his match against Lopez, uh, the match that that he uh, had extremely poor behavior and um, took a towel out of a ball boy's hands and... Displayed himself unprofessionally on the court. And so he really had the crowd against him. However, there wasn't a lot of energy for Nadal in those first two sets either. The crowd really wants a five-set match. They still wanted Nadal to win, but they wanted it to go five sets. And in the middle of that third set, it really started. The tide turned. Medvedev started getting the crowd on his side and Nadal got frustrated. He started forcing Medvedev to, to stop in the middle of his serve because he's, Nadal said the crowd was too loud. So he was playing a little bit of that cat and mouse game. So it really was an epic, an epic match.
0: And and th- I think that's what's the beauty of sports, right? You know, this is going to be really corny, but why not, right? Because who cares, <laughs> right? Is is Rocky IV, right? He <laughs> he goes out to Russia, they are booing him, that you know, all of a sudden they're inspired by the way he's fighting back, and that kind of wins you over, wins a crowd over, and that was something similar. We going back to what you originally said, where he got booed during the Feliciano Lopez match. That was the third round of the tournament, <sighs> yeah. and he you know he he angrily grabbed the top from the ball boy and it was caught on camera with him giving a middle finger and whatever, whatever. Yeah. And then at the end, then he taunted the crowd when they interviewed him saying, well, you know, you guys booing me really kind of got me amped up. So he really kind of taunted them. So he came in and if you look at the beginning of that match with Nadal, when he walked out, you know, you have the player introduction, right? Oh, Rafael Nadal. And, you know, they come out and they're cheering. And when he walks out, there's quite significant boos going on. I mean, <laughs> it, they were booing him pretty good. But like you like you know like you mentioned the way his play won over the fans yes and they just there's a level of respect at that point saying you're balling right now and you're going up against this guy right now that's a legend that's about to finish you and you're not and you're saying not not right now I'm not ready to go home and he even cracked jokes at the at his interview his postgame interview you know, saying or his post-match interview saying, you know, I, you know, we got to that third set. I was already thinking, I was like, all right, what am I going to talk about? This is going to be over in about 20 minutes. And then he, it, things started to kind of fall into place and yeah. he started playing hard. And obviously, you know, you had some back and forth. And then next thing you know, he won the next two sets, 7-5 uh, and 6-4. And all of a sudden we're in a, in a, in a, you know, fifth game here. And wow you yeah. know all hell broke loose yep. and at that point if you if you think the crowd was subdued in the beginning oh there was nothing no. like that they they were fully into it i don't know if the the 12th beer had kicked in because it was almost <laughs> five hours you know i don't know what it was and obviously i'm joking because we know exactly exactly what it was it was a play of these two individuals playing their heart out being fatigued and doing everything they can yeah. to push one another, and it turned out to be something that was absolutely special.
1: Well, and, and and two points about this piece about fatigue. There's a battle within your body between fatigue and adrenaline, and which one is going to win, right? I, I was adrenaline. tired just watching them. It I had to get up. I, I had to
0: get up and get some water. I had to hydrate. <laughs> I was watching them sweat so much. I had to get up and hydrate myself. <laughs> yeah. So I can't even imagine what they were going through. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and and Medvedev's game, uh, it, it you don't you don't hear it because if you're not watching the TV, he's not the big grunter that's Nadal. So you can hear that his, his ball doesn't, he doesn't hit a heavy ball. Nadal hits a heavy ball. He has a heavy forehand, heavy back, backhand. Medvedev is more finesse. Martina Navratilova, I think described his game the best. And that was, she said, he is sneaky good at the beginning of the tournament in the very first day. In an interview, she said when they were asking people, who's kind of your dark horse? Well, he was the fifth seeded player going into the tournament. Yep. So he's a little bit of a dark horse, but people knew who he was, right?
0: Well, I mean, he, he go ahead.
1: yeah, his game is sneaky good because he's six foot six. You don't think he's fast. He runs like a gazelle and he gets everything, he has a length. He has the length, right? And so he, but he also has quick feet to get to the net, which a lot of times the six foot six guys don't have that quick twitch muscle. They aren't the real quick guys to the net. He's just, he's graceful on the court, which then makes you think he's not a strong player. He's very strong. He understood how to play Nadal. And when he decided to turn it up a notch, nadal got frustrated nadal started to lose his serve he started having double faults and the tide turned and in tennis it can turn on one point and it was the point that you said that had 28 shots with that one point that turned the tide and brought the crowd into the game and took it to five sets
0: you know watching those five sets um the, you know the, there was a volley back and forth and um I forgot exactly. Obviously, I don't have it in front of me. I forget exactly where it was. It was probably, you know, halfway through the set. And um, Nadal and Medvedev are going back and forth. And Nadal finally gets the point And he kind of just leans over and, and puts his hands on his knees. Yes. And he stays there for a few seconds. Yep. And we never see Nadal do anything like that he's mr energizer bunny you know he's all over the place and he's he's just fitness freak incredible fitness the only thing that has that slowed down his career has been his injuries right like like any player right over time right you know we've seen it with federer We've, we've seen it with jokovic it's just a matter of time right where something like that happens but when i saw that i said oh my god he is hanging on right now yep you know, it was it was one of the few times. Yeah. He said, I've, to I win. can't let this one slip away. Right. I cannot let right. this one slip away. And he just went back and forth. It, it was incredible, incredible. Ebb and flow of yes. events and emotions, you know, and, and you went from, oh, this is a this is a piece of cake. He's about to finish it to, oh, my God, what has this turned into to? Oh my God, he's gonna lose this. Yes, he's gonna lose this. And yeah. and listen, I I know you know, and we'll touch upon it in in a few minutes. You know, it was disappointing for me to see Serena lose because oh. anytime you have any Crushed players, me. any any tennis player, or any tennis fan, or even if you're not a tennis fan, but you follow certain people, like people that don't follow golf, but they they follow Tiger Woods or or whatever whatever that is, right? you know uh, people that are not basketball f- fans but they'll follow LeBron James anytime you have someone that you follow get to that point yeah. where they're so close and they don't get it is disappointing and that kind of goes across your mind again when yeah. you're starting to see him lose he lost the third and fourth set getting to right. this fifth one now and you're saying oh no don't i don't want to see this I, I this is i'm enjoying this but i want to see him win this this championship and so it goes back to the ebb and flow of emotions that this game brought out in the fan and all of us
1: yeah and when you're talking about seeing players following players that transcend the sport okay nadal and fetter are those kinds of players they transcend the sport not yet as far as high up as serena okay Serena and Venus changed the sport of tennis for boys and girls. They transcended it partly with their journey and partly because of who they are as human beings, right? And they have, they did, they transcended the sport. Tiger transcends the sport. LeBron, right? Michael Jordan transcended the sport. What we saw on Saturday with Serena and Andreescu, Bianca Andreescu, the Romanian Canadian was, I was surprised. I was surprised. Um, Being able to watch Serena practice and see her on the court and Andreescu as well, I still felt that Serena had the better game, the better shots, Stronger forehand, all of those pieces. But what let her down in the match was her serve and moving her feet, and those two things together. Chrissy Everett kept saying, "Usually, those are the first two things that go because of nerves." I don't know that I've ever that we would ever be able to see that Serena had that the nerves got to her, but physically, those are the first two things that generally go when your nerves start to hit that level where it's past it just being adrenaline, right? And Andreescu is out there with absolutely nothing to lose. And she was, she was, she's a fighter. She, this is her very first US Open ever. She didn't even make the main draw last year through qualifiers. So she's an up and comer and a great, A great story because it was not an easy path for she and her parents either. So it was, I was heartbroken, to be really honest. Um, Because I really, because I really thought this was the one that Serena was going to win. I really did. She just kept getting stronger and stronger as the tournament went on.
0: You know, she lost to Coco last year and we saw. She lost to Osaka. Osaka. Yeah, that's okay. Oh my God.
1: Nope, she lost to Osaka yeah. last year. Yeah. Yes, and you know, yes. and, and
0: that was it's tough because
1: Venus lost to Coco at Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah, it,
0: it was it was disappointing, but at the same time, it was great to see a player like Osaka, you know, that that had such a great year this past year. Also, yeah. um, you know, the sport obviously is in good hands. We were talking about uh, Medvedev; he's only twenty three year old twenty three years old. He's from Russia. This was his first Grand Slam. He never have reached Grand. the fourth. Round yeah. of yeah. a major,
1: Grand Slam final. Yeah, yeah, first Grand Slam final. Yeah, yes, but he's never and,
0: gotten past the fourth round right. in any major,
1: and and he'd never played five sets mm. in a Grand Slam or a final, any final, never played five sets. Right. I mean, obviously, if it's his first Grand Slam, yeah. Right. Yes, but in any, he hadn't ever gone five sets, so that was a push as well. That really was. But if anyone out there is thinking that it's exciting to watch the U.S. Open on TV, take a trip, go out to Flushing, go to the Billie Jean King Tennis Center and experience being there in person. Because the one thing that can't be picked up, even though we think they're hitting the ball hard when you see it on TV, when you see it in person, it's a whole nother game. It's a whole nother game. You can get up close and watch... The best players in the world practice. You can watch them play their matches. Um, I saw Coco Goff play twice, once in doubles and once in single, or twice in singles and once in, excuse me, twice in doubles, once in singles. And watching her play is amazing. But also got to see these players that, like the men's doubles team that that won the U.S. Open, this Colombian team they're amazing. They're number one in the world. Number one in the world. Go there, experience it. You can get there at nine o'clock in the morning and not leave until midnight and see 10 matches on all different kinds of courts. There are practice courts and you can get the practice schedule the day before to see who's practicing on what courts and what time. And up close and personal, it's just a fantastic, fantastic experience
0: how how packed was it how many people were there was it was it oh. pretty pretty busy because obviously yeah. anywhere you go we could go to the bodega in new york it is going to be a lot of people so yeah. a huge event like the open in new york yeah. and then just for anyone that hasn't been to that area it is right next to the highway the grand central parkway is uh, is right there and also um city field is right up the block. So it's on the other side of the train tracks, even though the train track, the L, is elevated. So everything is happening. So when you went your first day, there were matches going on, and you had the Mets playing the Cubs at the same time. So there's so much to do and so much is going on just in that area there. And even if you just hang out at Flushing Meadow Park, there's an ice skating rink. There's a huge <laughs> park. There's so many. There's a museum. There are so many things to do. You can walk around. People playing soccer and baseball. It yeah. is a huge, huge area, yeah. and it's a wonderful area. So just talk about uh, everybody out there.
1: Well, well that, uh, every day there were anywhere from seventy to eighty thousand people, and uh, that—that's a lot of people trying to get to a lot of different matches. Um, that's a Friday. That. Oh, (laughs) exactly. No, it is. (laughs) It is. And on the weekends, it was even more packed. It felt more packed. It felt more, uh, there, there was more urgency of the people going in because some people I think were just there for one day, right? Yeah. I was there for three days. So getting a lay of the land, the first thing I would do is go to the website and see the layout, the map they have so that you can get a really good idea of the layout of of the Billie Jean King Tennis Center. They had interactive activities for kids. Um, food and drink, man, you, I would suggest, you, you know, maybe one day buy a drink there, but other than that, you can bring your own in, and I would suggest it. It's extremely expensive to eat yeah. and drink on the on property. But you could sit, like I sat... The, the courts, that the outside courts from, you you can get, I mean, from here to the wall. So what is that? What is this? Five feet? Five feet from the center of the court. I mean, you're that close to watching these tennis players play. And it's like nothing else. A grounds pass is about $100, $110. And I thought, well, that's kind of expensive just to get in the gate. But you can go to 10 matches in a day, which means if you were going to pay for each match separately, that'd only be $10. It is absolutely amazing. Um, The practice courts, go to the practice courts. Number one, always go to the practice courts. Check the schedule the night before because they reserve the night before as to when the players want to practice. And up close and personal. And you can see, uh, you can kind of hear what the, what the coaches are asking them to do, but even more than you can just see the routines. How does this player practice? Um, What are they doing out there? And then you can see it happen on the court, which was awesome. Mixed doubles, men's doubles, women's doubles was, it blows your mind, the talent on the court. So, and Taylor Townsend, I cannot speak highly enough about her journey And watching her and her success, and uh, the crowds were always behind her. It didn't matter which court she was playing on, one of the outside courts, uh, or if she was playing on Arthur Ashe or Louis Armstrong. She had a huge following. It was Uh, exciting. Yeah. Well, Taylor Townsend, um, she actually won the US Open as a junior and about at, at about age 16. And the juniors are 18 and under. And then she she kind of fell off. She got injured, um, had some fitness issues. Uh, I I was told that the USTA uh, told her that if she didn't drop weight, they wouldn't allow her to play in USTA sanctioned tournaments. Oh, okay. So she's had a tough, a very, very difficult path. She's not only trying to right? Get into the U.S. Open and get into the Grand Slams and the ATP tournaments. But she's fighting a lot of other outside issues, right? And so it was great to see her play her game. She is a servant volleyer, just like uh, Katie McNally, okay? Serving and volleyer. And these young players that are serving volleyers, they're bringing back that really aggressive style of play that works really well on hard court and it works really well on grass. So that was really exciting. Uh, She lives in Atlanta now and she had to play, she had to play and win three qualifying matches the week before the main tournament started just to get in the main draw in order to play in the tournament. There are, uh, main draw qualities. I don't know how many on each side, men and women that they play through qualifying and then they get, they get into the main draw. So it was, it's just amazing. And, and she's an amazing young woman and, uh, believes in herself, has a team around her that believes in her. And I, I, I think that she is a great example of How bad do you want it, and what are you willing to do to get it? And she showed everybody out there what she was willing to do. So it was awesome. Fantastic.
0: The many hats you wear, one of them is high school tennis coach. You're the high school tennis coach at Nathan Hale. Um, You have one of the top players, yourself. And um, why don't you talk about Mia real quick? Okay. And, And... in context, you know, from what you saw out there yeah. from the players, you know, as a coach, you're, you're evaluating and you're picking up on things. What are some of the things that you notice you're like, oh that I, I really like that, or that's something that I might want to use, or that's something that I could work on with my players? What was it something that stood out for you yeah. as a coach
1: just watching all the all of these uh, talented individuals? Well, first of all, they're all very talented. Okay. Yeah. They all practice their footwork with foot drills feet skill drills out on the court and they all practice being at the net every single one of them even Serena and it's not her favorite right so all these players um, the net drills and where they stand is critically important and how quickly they can get to the net because even if you are not a servant volleyer like Townsend and and Katie McNally you still need to be able to have that be a part of your game. So that's the piece that I'm taking back to my players. And that is this, I know you are a crush it at the baseline player and can kill it, but we need to get your game to have more variety to it because you're not always going to be able to play those baseliners. You might have to play somebody that plays a little bit more of a softer game, a dink and dunk. And sometimes what happens is that those players that come in and slice a lot, if you don't have that as a part of your game, then you'll you'll start overhitting. So that was one piece. The other was this. I watched the juniors in the qualies while I was there. And what I saw is that, they, Mia hits the ball just like they do.
0: Explain who Mia is. Mia
1: Lubach, excuse me. Mia Luba is um, our number one girls player at Nathan Hale High School. She won the state championship for tennis, for girls tennis this year, did not drop a set and beat last year's state champion in straight sets. And uh, the coaches that, that saw Mia play at state, they wondered if she even played high school tennis last year. said well where was she last year i said well last year she lost in at metro or at at district and didn't get to come to state and they said well how and i said let me just tell you the loss at districts is really what compelled her to get back on the court, start practicing harder, and add some <clears> things to her game. Right now, she's over, uh, she plays a lot of ITF tournaments, which are International Tennis Federation tournaments. And right now, she's in Bosnia playing a clay court circuit and had to go through qualies because she's never played on clay. And this is a European ITF tournament. And she won her qualy tournaments, her qualy matches, and got into the main draw. She's 16 years old. Her goal, she wants to be playing at the US Open. And um, she shared that in an email to me today. And that just gives me chills because she has the game and the strength physically. And now she's getting that experience on clay court, which just adds to her game and her repertoire. And she's working on the mental side of it. And it's really exciting. So um, as a high school coach, to be able to go over and see how the players practice, how they warm up. And that my my high school players, the high school players in the Metro Conference are not that far from getting into the qualies for juniors at the U.S. Open. It is an amazing conference that we have and these players it, it they're not that far away right they're just not that far so it's uh it's exciting it's really exciting for a
0: player that that's traveling and um and doing everything that she's doing right now, you know, how does she keep up with school work? And how does the, the school kind of work with her and the parents? What what kind of, yeah. you know, for a parent that, that may have, a, you know, a, a child or, or someone that's thinking about doing something like that, that mm-hmm. thinks maybe that's unrealistic, because it's hard to keep up with everything else. Right. What, what kind of, what, what advice would you give to the parent?
1: Well, for the parents, um, the number one thing is make sure that this is really what you're child wants. Your young person wants. Your child wants, not
0: what you want. Yes. Okay. okay?
1: And that's number one. And then um, the schools can be flexible with this, right? We have this thing called the internet. Assignments can be posted. You can send them back. You can, uh, you know, scan them and get the work back. Okay. So that's one piece. The other part is, is that she will be in the Running Start program and uh, Running Start doesn't start until the community colleges start up which is at the end of this month. Yeah. So she's taking most of her courses this year and next at uh, the community college for Running Start. She'll have, I think, three classes at Hale. And those classes that she'll have at Hale, they've been communicating back and forth, and yeah. uh, she'll be back in a couple of weeks. But uh, she thought she'd be back sooner, and then she qualified to get into the main draw for this ITF tournament. So they're extending the trip in Bosnia. And she's Bosnian. So so they're over there with family, and, That's and, great. and it's really great. So um, anybody out there, and again, um, it's great. You need to be a student athlete, and there's ways to make it work. Some, some kids are homeschooled. Some go to an academy. Um, there are a lot of different opportunities out there, right? It just depends on uh, what level and the dedication that the player has, and parents go and support the dream, go support that passion that they have.
0: Being out in Flushing, there's so many people. I I've, um, I remember you took a picture and uh, you sent it back to me with uh, you and three young ladies. I, I believe that they worked there. You know, what What was your experience, you know, as, as far as besides the tennis and, and everything else that was special about it, but just the people, oh. you know, like – You know, what was the vibe? You know, what was the coolest thing that that you really came away with when, besides tennis, you look back at your experience? What was something that really stood out for you?
1: Well, I met people, most people were surprised that I flew from Seattle to go to the US Open. That was another continent.
0: (laughs) Yes. I I know I have family in New York and they're like, you, you want us to visit you in Seattle. I was like, it's not that it's not that bad. it's like, I could get to London at the same time. No, no. Right. Where is that? Alaska? No. Right. Right.
1: So, um, they said, oh my gosh, you came here from Seattle. Right. Uh, met a few people from the Bay area and from San Diego, but everybody is so friendly back there. Um, and and want to help i i was so impressed with the ambassadors that's the picture i i i sent to you okay another gal that i met was working for the usopen.org as one of their editors and so met up with her and got a little behind the scenes tour as to how all of the uh media happens so that was in the media center and um but the players are accessible the people watching the umpires The cameramen, the ball boys and ball girls, the umpires and uh, the line judges, everyone's accessible. You can talk to everybody, obviously sometimes not during the match, but the friendliness people were always ready, willing, and able to help. Um, They would come back and say, Hey, make sure you come back to this match or come back to this court because of who's playing next. Mm. There, there were always, uh, all the players sign tennis balls and hats and it it's just it seems huge when you see it on TV but it really does you really do feel like it's an intimate environment and everybody's there experiencing all of this excitement. So I would say go meet lots of people. Um, I met a gentleman that lives in Tampa but also lives in London. He's British and he he was telling me about what it's like to go to Wimbledon. But he goes to the U.S. Open every year. Every single year he goes to, to the U.S. Open. So uh, I a, met a lot of great people. I will go back again. Absolutely go back again. But when they found out I was a rookie from Seattle, first time at the U.S. Open, people could not have been friendly enough. I got moved up to front row seats when, somebody, when one of the ushers said, You've never been here before. I said no. They go. You see that seat down there? Go down those stairs. You tell them. I said sent you there, and I got to sit front row at Louis Armstrong. That's awesome. Yes,
0: it's awesome. It's just a great venue. It's a great location. Um, you know, you don't need a car. You could get there. Laguardia Airport is about ten minutes away. That's with no traffic. Ten minutes, no traffic, It is, but it's really close. You're right next to the the train station, so you get off the train. You walk right into the park. At the park, besides tennis, like I said, uh, there's a lot of things going on. There's a miniature golf. Uh, There's a par three. There's ice skating. Uh, There's other events going on. Um, They're a beautiful place to walk around, water fountains. Uh, lots of food. Uh, a Queens version of Chinatown, because you have Chinatown down Manhattan. Chinatown is really close to there. There's some great Spanish food going the opposite uh, direction, and when I say Spanish, it's everything. It's Venezuelan, Salvadorian, you know, uh, Dominican, Puerto yeah. Rican. It's all kind of food. There's, um, uh, there's just so many things to do. Um, you could go into Manhattan. You're on the train. You're about 20 minutes away from yeah. Manhattan. It it is that easy. Everything's on the seven. It's it's super easy to get there. (laughs) There's plenty of things to do. So you can go there for a week, go in and out to US Open, two or three days, mix and match, take the family. It's in the summertime. So a lot of things to do. Hop on the train, get it to Central Park, Get downtown, do whatever you like to do. So it's a, it's just a wonderful venue, and it's just something that it's a great way to kind of show off New York. You know, I know New York is really popular yeah. at Christmas and Rockefeller and everything else, but summertime going yeah. down there, especially if you're a sports fan, yeah. to be a part of it, it's really really yeah. special. Um,
1: yeah, go ahead. Well, just one more piece, and that is that the week before they start televising matches, ESPN starts televising matches, is called Fan Week. And this year they televised fan week, they meaning ESPN. And that means that everybody gets in for free and you are there to watch the qualifying matches, the one I was sharing about with Taylor Townsend and a lot of other players, right? The qualies, as well as all of the pros are there practicing. So if you're going on a budget, That's the way to go. And that is go the week before all the matches start. You will get the same amazing experience. And there won't be any matches in Arthur Ashe or Louis Armstrong uh, of the, say, the big five or the top 10, right? None of those matches are going on from the main draw. But go see those qualifiers and you will see that they are minuscule moments, isolated moments from being in the main draw. And you get to see those up and comers. um, and And it's free. It's absolutely free. And you can hang out really close to the ESPN studios that they have there and see Chris Everett. And John McEnroe and Patrick McEnroe and maybe might Brad will, Mike Gilbert, curse you out
0: so you'll get the full experience. I, I would hope so. Brad you know?
1: Gilbert is a character, and and um, Darren Cahill, and they are and 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 um, oh, who am I missing? Mary Joe Fernandez, right? Yep. yep. Very engaging with the crowd, and when they're not on uh, camera. They turn around, and they're having great conversations and lots of fun with the crowd. So I think next year when I go, I will go earlier and go to part of fan week and uh, experience fan week and then go over and see the earlier matches of the main draw.
0: Because you're never going to know who you're going to see. Because Never, and it's amazing. Listen, going back to Nadal, he turned pro at age 15. Right. Right? Career numbers, he's 966. And one ninety six. Eighty three percent of his games right? he's won. Yeah. I mean, nineteen Grand Slams, twelve yeah. French opens. Obviously he's the, the, king. Of king, the, of the king of the king clay. King of the clay. King of the clay. You know, four US opens, two Wimbledons. Yeah. Uh at thirty three years old. Um it's just absolutely amazing. You know, we, we we're talking about let us let's, let's get into the big three real quick. Yep,
1: let's get there. You
0: know, Federer has twenty. He's 38 years old. He's the oldest of the group. He turned 38 in August. Right? Nadal's 33. Yep. He has 19. And Djokovic is 32 years old. He has 16. He is right there. They're all there. So so those three have dominated the sport. They've won the last 12 yeah. Grand Slams consecutively. The last player to beat, uh, not be one of them, was uh, Stan Wawrinka yeah. in 2016, and he defeated Djokovic. Um, those three have won 50 of the last 58 majors.
1: It it is, and and it's the one thing you hear John McEnroe it's and crazy. Martina Navratilova and Chrissy say, and that is, people, we we are witnessing historic. We're witnessing history in the tennis world. We're witnessing history of goats of all timers. Yeah. Okay. And and so and they keep saying we never know. This might be their last Grand Slam. And there's a there there are a lot of really strong up and coming players, especially on the women's side. Especially yeah. on the women's side, but there haven't been that many strong consistently strong players coming up through the men's side challenging the big 3. They well, just haven't.
0: Well, well, like any sport, right? We we could talk about any sport. You you can be successful for a certain amount of years, right? And and, and be yeah. considered a man, he's a great player. But to do it for a decade and a half. Amazing. You know, and for for these three players,
1: Serena two decades, she just played yeah, so, her
0: 20th U.S. Open. For, for Serena, 20th. obviously, Serena, we both believe she's the GOAT, right? <laughs> she, and, and, no uh, one's touching her. Yeah. You know, what, what she's doing is incredible. But for three players yes. to dominate the sport... Yes. And you know if you're one of those three players, most likely you have to deal with one of those three players on your way.
1: To the championship. To the
0: championship. Right,
1: because two out two out of the three will always end up on the same side of the bracket. Yeah, and then you
0: have your off year or something like that where yeah. all of a sudden they drop down. You know, they're not one, two, and three. They might be five. They might be eight. It all depends, right. you know, what has happened right. with them that year or injury or they missed a tournament or something like that. Then all of a sudden you're getting them a little bit earlier, you know, along your your path. But right. for for these three guys, you know, and obviously I, I still I'm at this point you're still going to rank them myself: Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Absolutely. Right? They, you know, I that's the way. You know, yeah. and you know we think about Sampras and we think about all these other great
1: tennis players. Sampras and Agassi had had it, going but Agassi on as couldn't well. touch Sampras. You know, oh, like no, you know, once so, Sampras got on the on the courts. Yeah. But for these three to maintain,
0: they're, they're, they're all going along at the yes. same pace. Yes. You know, we don't see that. You know, we could see, uh, you know, uh, in, in golf, we could see a Rory one year or another one, you know, where every time you think somebody's going to take off, but then we kind of go back to the, the decade dominance of Tiger. Mm-hmm. You know, it took, for these three players to dominate for so long, yeah. and if your an upcoming player you know that you're going to have to deal with them along the line. Absolutely. Somewhere. It's just, it's it's incredible theater. It's it's why we love sports. It's, uh, it's a conversation I had with my wife years ago. And this is when, you know, Real World on MTV and all this other stuff was <laughs> okay. about it. Let's we'll watch this and watch that. I'm like, listen, I don't watch reality TV because I watch sports. And that's my reality TV. Yes. Reality yes. Reality TV is sports for me. I'm not sitting in front of watching The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, anything with an or or anything. No, No. I'm not watching that. There's no Kardashians in my household. There's none of whatever the, the whatever's the hip thing to do. And, right. and, you know, watching you know somebody else live their lives, I'm not watching it. No. But my fix, my reality TV is sports. Yeah. And to see the reality TV unfold itself, yeah. where there's watching an epic match, to see, you know, the... the you know, the incredible plays that happen, the miracle plays, incredible catches. I'm a giant fan, you know, to see the upsets of the Patriots, you know, to see then the agony of of the Seahawks throwing it all away on the one yard line. But there's storylines everywhere we go, yeah. you know, where you have these incredible storylines that come out of nowhere or tragedy. You know, when, you know, uh, Dale Earnhardt, you know, passed away on, on you know, when, while on the he was track. driving on the yeah. track, you know. Yeah. There's so many different storylines, right. you know, and, and at all different spectrums. It's the reason that we love sports, and it's absolutely yeah. incredible.
1: Because you never know what's going to happen in that particular match, that particular game, that particular race whatever it is, right? We don't know. Everybody thinks they know. There are a million predictions out there, right? And everybody has their say. But when it comes right down to it, watching a game unfold, watching a match unfold, understanding the strategies or trying to figure out what they're doing, what are their strategies, is really what is so, I I think, special about sports. And I think, that kids that are involved in sports learn so much about life through athletics that, and it doesn't matter what sport it is, right? That it really does add a lot of knowledge, experience and richness to their lives. And it, and these lifelong passions are well worth savoring and continuing.
0: What was the biggest storyline from uh, Nadal and Medvedev? Do you know what it was? I ha- I have my biggest storyline. You do.
1: Yeah. You have your biggest storyline. Yeah, yeah. You mean but at their match, <laughs> on their match.
0: It was the doll wearing uh, oh. the Richard uh, uh, Mill timepiece oh, the watch. He, he had the the limited edition that that watches seven hundred sixty nine thousand dollars that he was wearing.
1: Some that match. somebody said, and <laughs> I I don't know where I saw that's amazing, right? That there was a football player with the same watch on. It was a
0: uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Odell
1: Beckham Jr. But,
0: but he had the cheaper version. I think it was only like two hundred grand or something like that. He had he had the
1: Go be a tennis player, people. There's a whole lot of money they, in it. A whole um, lot of money. And yeah. Apparently,
0: he made it for him and went to. They met up. They He went to his house. The designer and they and he had him wear it and say how does this feel is it light is it something that you could wear and he absolutely loves it he's been wearing it for he's been wearing that that type of timepiece for years right you know and you know this designer is making them for him but it's a limited edition it's a rm 27-03 limited edition at you know almost 800,000 dollars and, and, and it's what's just, it's incredible what's the
1: name of the watchmaker Brand? Uh Richard
0: Mill, okay. M-I-L-L-E. Okay. And it's uh, an incredible timepiece. Sounds uh, like
1: it's topping Rolex.
0: And oh, it's blowing <laughs> away. In fact, he <laughs> only makes it for um, athletes. So oh. uh, if you're a race car driver or a tennis player, because his whole thing is that he wants it showcased.
1: Gotcha. So he,
0: he'll... He'll make it for a certain player or, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a NASCAR driver or Formula One driver or they, there's certain people that he, he makes them specific because it's a show it off kind of piece. And that's right. part of, you know, his advertising You know, right. with him putting these timepieces. Right. But it was it was so funny to see the story about it. You know, oh, Nadal wins <laughs> his know. 19th and this and epic. And now everybody was talking about the watch that he was wearing throughout this match, and it was just so I, I just I found it humorous, and uh, but it, it was a really nice watch. In fact, they did it in the <laughs> colors of uh, of Spain. It had that red oh, and nice. gold, and it, I mean it was really really pretty. If you okay. get a chance, check it out online. It's a All really right. nice. I it, I mean I I'm not <laughs> I'm not throwing it, uh, honey sweetie. You're uh, Are you uh, calling him? Are you calling him for your watch? Eight hundred thousand dollar watch. No. Okay. All right. I was just checking. My bad. You know, I shouldn't even ask.
1: Yeah. Uh, mine was probably just uh, you know, obviously on the court, and uh, when they when they came back and showed some captions and some of the conversations that Medvedev was having with the umpire oh. regarding uh, Nadal, basically stalling. And so, it, it, right? I veteran mean, veteran move. Yes, the veteran move. But then he started getting penalties for it. So he got a warning, and the next time it was um, a fault, yep. and then that turned into uh, a double fault for Nadal, and it, that was part of what started to turn the tide, right? Yep. And then the crowd got a little bit chippy about it, antsy and antsy, and uh, but you know they, they put the time, they put the serve time clock in for a reason, and and then you know and but Nadal was then trying to hold up Medvedev from serving within the time clock right? So playing that mental game, that mental chess game with him, right? And Medvedev, he would just go out there and he would still serve even when the crowd wasn't quiet, right? Because he's a little bit of a faster paced player. So that, that back and forth chess match between them, uh, I thought was engaging and enticing. And the one thing Medvedev, I think, has done is he's showing who he really is. And kind of being the bad dude, that's not really who he is, and so uh but he'll play the villain, he'll play the villain if that's what he needs to do, but he's not i think I think what he started to say in in some of his press conferences is that he apologized for his behavior in the one in the one match, um, and he said, "Look, that's not who I am. I will own it. That was poor behavior. I should have never done it, and then hopefully eventually the New York crowd would start supporting him in his other matches. But um, it's good. It's good. And it has started, I think, another rivalry. I think that Medvedev and, uh, and uh, Gregor Dimitrov, yep. okay, those two and the Italian Beninetti, or, uh, yeah, Beninetti are, they're getting there. They're going to be close, and they are going to start battling because Gregor Dimitrov, he's the one that beat Federer. So what's the ne- what's
0: the 2020? The first 2020 Grand Slam is the Australian Open. Is that correct? It is the Australian right. Open. Yes, that's and then, the first one. Where is it? They go to the French,
1: and then Roland Garros. Yep. And then Wimbledon, and, and then the we're Open. back at the U.S. Open. And we're back
0: at the U.S. Open. Yeah. So, so it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens. How, you know. People taking time off, right? It's been a long season. Yes. Right? Uh, I believe Nadal uh, won two Grand Slams this year and was in two
1: semis. Yes. And he's getting married. He's getting married? Yes. Good for him. Yes. Are you invited? Are you going? No, I was not on the guest list. Can you bring me back a plate?
0: Right. Can you bring back a, a, right. a plate? I'll take some leftovers there. I'm pretty yeah. sure they're serving some Was really not, delicious Spanish nope, food. No,
1: nope, but... Um,
0: or oh, a nice glass of wine. Right. Ooh, nice Spanish wine. Ooh. Okay, I guess i digress and Mallorca. I digress. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, I mean, he has a, he has a lot going on, a full year. Yep. He has a lot happening in his world. But I think. Um, tennis, watches, wives. All, all those stuff, things, you know, right? All those things. Wife. And he, all yeah, uh, wife. Sing, singular. <laughs> that's a singular sensation over there. Um, but he also has his tennis academy on Mallorca. Yeah. And uh, has started running challenge matches, which are matches and tur- challenge tournaments, which help players that have been injured to get back into the tournaments because they have to go to challenge matches challenge tournaments in order to earn points to then get in invited to play in these other tournaments i'm not talking just the grand slams we're talking indian wells we're talking cincinnati hard court we're talking the rogers cup right we are talking um the one in miami So to get invited into those tournaments, if you've been off the tournament circuit for a while, like Andy Murray has, then players get invited to these challenge tournaments. And the challenge tournament was going on the same time as the U S open. So Andy Murray was over in the challenge tournament trying to get back. He had a hip replacement. Yeah. That's why he's been out. He's been out for a year. But his, but his younger brother, Jamie Murray and, um, and Bethany Maddox-Sands won their third Grand Slam in mixed doubles. So that was exciting. That's fun. Saw them play, yeah. So, you know, Rafael Nadal is giving back to the game that's been so good to him and yeah. the sport that's been so good to him. And I think that's the other part. Roger Federer does amazing things around the world, fundraisers, yeah. and, and supports a lot of charities. So... Uh, we, th- those are the other pieces, right? Uh, Serena and Venus, what they've done to change tennis and the tennis opportunities for young people uh, speaks volumes. I mean, it's why Coco Goff and Osaka were able to get into tennis in the first place. Yep. So it's out there, people, go get it.
0: Before we wrap it up, um, my last question to you. Here in uh, the state of Washington, if there's something that you can do or change or add for the tennis player here that you would like to see some changes, Uh, is there anything in particular that you wish that the league or, or something can be done to try to help the game grow?
1: I think that one of the pieces to help the game grow would be more indoor court facilities uh primarily because of the weather that we have here in the pacific northwest and the rain is real yeah the rain is real and also make uh have have uh the opportunity like they have what's the golf what's the golf um oh the golf foundation that gets inner city kids involved in golf I, I know what you 1T, okay? Yep. They have one called Net Generation for Tennis. I'd like to see that get started here in Seattle. I don't know that there's a chapter here yet in Seattle, so that's one thing. I think the USTA could be much more involved with making sure that the courts that we have are in better playing condition, hmm. okay? And then get an indoor facility that is open and affordable, for more players. And Seattle Parks is trying. They really are trying. They have a junior tennis program that they've been trying to get into the middle schools. And there's one that's going to be happening this year uh, in the North End at Jane Addams. And they'll be practicing at Meadowbrook and we're trying to get the USTA Pacific Northwest chapter to get in there and resurface the Meadowbrook courts because they're public courts. It's where our high school plays, but they're also used by many, many people, many public, right? Many people out there playing tennis, Which, which is a great thing. It's an absolutely great thing. They just need to be resurfaced. Yeah, they, they're in they're love. in high need. So USTA, Pacific Northwest, uh, netgeneration.org getting a chapter here. And I think that will help grow the game.
0: Well, Dory, let's put a bow on it. It was fun. Yeah. I'm so glad you had such a great time in New York. Uh, that you didn't get lost. No. That, uh, because of you, Will.
1: <laughs> will Will and Raquel gave me great instructions. Uh, They're very simple. Where to, uh, it is, and everybody's so helpful. The presence of the NYPD and how friendly and accommodating is—it um, was very refreshing. Yeah, it was very refreshing, and uh, I will go back again. Thank you, New York, for a wonderful experience.
0: Well, to Dory Bennett, Will Sanchez. Thanks for listening to NYC. We're out.